You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody. This is Wake Up Call, the podcast. I am your host, Christina Previn, and joining me today for another edition of the FemSquire series is Renee Bauer. She's the founder of the Happy Even After Family Law Firm in Connecticut. She's the host of the Happy Even After podcast, and she started the D course, which we'll talk about more, but is a course designed for fabulous women who want to get through their divorce, empowered and intact. Thank you for joining me, Renee. Hey, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited to do this. I um, wanted to do this a lot earlier because I've been watching you killing it on social media and (laughs) doing so much more than probably the average person does with a family law firm. You have the podcast, you started your own course, and I want to hear how you did all that. So thank you. Yeah. So, um, oh, I'm so psyched to be here. I love talking about business. Like I love talking about marketing and all of that stuff. Um, and it's sort of the, the, aside from being the lawyer, like I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been, um, always thinking about like, what's the next thing? What more can I do? What can I start? What new business can I come up with? And, um, that's really where all of this came from. And for so long, I had been sort of just trudging through as a divorce attorney, um, doing the thing, doing the lawyering. And when COVID came and we found ourselves in a really kind of strange place where courts weren't open, we got really quiet at the beginning um, and then we got really busy. But I had decided that now was the time to do something that had been kind of living on my heart for a while is bring the mission of divorce and finding um, your out your way out the other end um, to a larger scale and to do so talking about my own story. And um, it was something that I never shared. Um, I kept it all kind of wrapped up and it was, I was so ashamed of it. And I started to do that through the podcast and through social media and um, decided to create an online course for uh, specifically for women, but although really for anyone going through the divorce process and so much of the divorce process is about, as you know, mindset, setting appropriate expectations, um, really kind of feeling like you're in back in control of your life. And so education um, is the way to do that. So I took all of the information that I had gathered representing clients for over uh, almost 20 years and tied it all up and put it together into one course where someone could go and watch videos and start to think about their divorce in a different way and start to um, not just focus on this horrible thing that's happening to them, but how they can kind of regain control of their life and move on and not get held up in the things that really keep you stuck, such as like fighting over the lamp or getting hung up on a parenting plan and, you know, the fight for the win or a fight over principle, um, which we see all the time happens when someone does that, it really keeps them stuck and prevents them from taking that next step forward. So, um, just, that's how it all started is just bringing the message to a bigger, uh, stage, um, so that it could help more people. Well, how did you even end up being a divorce lawyer in the first place? 
<laughs> so I had, um, you know, I had no interest in being a lawyer. Um, I was going to law school to work in politics. I was going to go to DC. I wanted to be a lobbyist. And then I did an internship in law school that had me working with um, people who were applying for social security benefits and they got denied. And I found that the advocacy felt so good to me and it felt like home and I loved that work. And then when I graduated, I worked for a very short period of time doing insurance defense. It was probably like the worst, you know, worst period of time over my career and then landed with a a small law firm that was family run. Um, they did a lot of criminal defense and they also did family, but it was not the thing that they loved to do. So all of the family cases ended up on my desk. And that's where I found like, wow, I really like this work because it's so much more than just applying the law. It's really working with people and coaching them and um, helping them change their mindset. And it was so much more than just like what's in the textbook. And it was just felt like a really natural fit. So when I opened my own practice, it was only natural that it would be devoted to family and matrimonial law. So you've been very transparent on your website and elsewhere about your own experience with divorce. And did you, was that something that you experienced after you had already started practicing family law or did that happen later? Yeah, I love this question because had you asked it of me like four years ago, I would have been like, I'm not talking about that. Like that's off limits. So I went through both of my divorces when I was a divorce lawyer and I didn't talk about them. Like it was, I was so buttoned up about it because I felt like it wasn't professional. Like that's not what you do. You show up in court, you put your suit on, you put the he your heels on, you dress the part. And you do your job without sharing any part of your personal story. And I felt that way for so long. Um, and then at one point, I went on a, a good friend's podcast. I uh, was interviewed and she said, I've never, never was on a podcast before. I never even listened to them. And she said, listen, I'm going to show up. I'm going to bring some sushi to your house. We're going to have a martini. And I'm just going to like put this microphone on you and ask some questions. And I'm like, sure. Like, I haven't seen you in a while. That sounds great. So we do that and we get to that point and she starts asking me questions, not giving me any sort of heads up as to what she's actually going to ask me. And she starts asking me about my divorce. And for the first time ever, I talked about it. And I actually had to call up my mother after and be like, listen, I'm sorry. Like there are things that I said that, you know, might not be that flattering, but it was my experience of what my divorce was and what I went through. Um, and I had, when that episode dropped, I had so many women specifically reach out to me and say, that was my story too. Like I sat in the shame. I I felt so alone. I cried when my son wasn't with me and that's my story. Thank you for sharing that. And then it was like a light bulb went off and I said, you know what? People don't need the buttoned up version of me. They need the raw one. They need the real one. And as uncomfortable as it was to start to share that, I did it. And um, it was so uncomfortable, Christina, at the beginning. Like it was, I'm so private. So to have to put myself out there in a way that um, just felt really vulnerable and raw was so new to me. But something crazy happened when I did that. Like 
business exploded. Um, I connected with clients in a way that I never have before. And then everything else sort of fell into place with all of the other work that I had been doing because it was, um, it made sense. And, you know, I, I realized that telling my story actually offered a service to somebody and I wasn't doing anybody any good by not sharing that and keeping it to myself. Well, you were being authentic. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard this expression that your mess is your message. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your pain is your purpose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the same thing. Absolutely. And it's 100%. But, you know, I think that you just grow, it, for me anyway, I grew up in an Italian household. Like you keep, you keep your family stuff to yourself, you don't talk about it. It's nobody's business. And from that school of, of thought, it was you don't share that stuff. Like that's your own private business. And why would you put that out there? And it was really hard to kind of uh, flip that switch and turn it into um, not only do you share it, but you share it openly and you almost even boast about it or brag about it as like, hey, this is the thing. This was my like low moment. This was the thing that, you know, really knocked me out at the knees. Um, but it also helped me rise and grow and become the person I am today. And um, it's such a just a mindset shift to actually use your story as a marketing tool and as a way to connect with people. Well, I, something that I talk about a lot is how there's still so much stigma associated with divorce, yeah. which is sort of crazy to me considering the statistics. I Last yeah. I heard it was 50%. I've heard higher. I don't know what it really is, but whatever it is, it's high. Mm -hmm. We all know someone who's been divorced, probably many people who have been divorced yeah. in our personal lives. So why is there still this stigma associated with it? I mean, what do you it's, think that's about? I, You know, I think that it's a great question. I think part of it has to do with as women growing up to be people pleasers, to always be the good wife, the good employee, the good mother, the good sister, the good your daughter, like all of that. And when we start to disrupt that, that idea that we always have to be perfect or always have to be that good person or people pleasing, um, then there's shame that comes with that because it's like, well, we're taught that we're supposed to always act a certain way and, you know, become, be a certain role. And when we're not that there's this like little part of us that says, wow, like, you know, I'm embarrassed of that or I'm ashamed of it. And I think that, you know, I think you're right. Divorce is, is almost mainstream now. And the more we talk about it in, in podcasts and in the social media space and communities and, you know, all of the things that there's so many amazing people out there doing, um, when we start to put it out there, people feel less ashamed about it. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, and, you know, I have a private Facebook group and that's such a common theme still in those groups. And a lot of times religion plays into it. People growing up in, uh, in a religious home. And that is absolutely the last thing that you do. You don't get divorced. Um, you just don't. And someone decides, well, you know what? I'm not going to stay put in this situation. And then their family shames them. It's really common and really, really sad. But, um, you know, there's still so much work to be done around the stigma of divorce. Yeah, I actually had a debate with another attorney recently about whether we should even call it a failure because that's another thing I see all the time yeah. is that usually in the context of celebrity news that somebody's yeah. relationship failed. And then I think, well, why do we say that? Why do we have to be so negative about it? Maybe the relationship just ran its course. 
No yeah, matter if yeah. those two people aren't feeling fulfilled anymore, why to me the shame would be in staying. Yeah, absolutely. That and that's like what's heartbreaking to me is to hear somebody say, "We we stuck it out. We stayed until the kids uh, were graduated from high school." And I'm thinking to myself, "Oh my God, there's so much of your life that you just lost because you thought you were doing best for your kids by staying put, but they know. Like kids watch. They know the tone. They see that." there's, it's maybe loveless. They, they understand. And when you stay too long, you're teaching them about what a relationship looks like. And so, you know, I always ask people who are kind of on the fence, I say, well, is this the relationship you would want for your own daughter? And most of them say, if not every single person I've asked that to says, absolutely not. Well, why is it good enough for you? And yet somehow we, we think like we're, you know, we're martyrs or we're heroes. If we stick it out and we suffer, we don't have to suffer. You're right. Relationships can run their course. The marriages can, can be complete. Um, every relationship has a lesson in it. And I had a second husband and that marriage was so short, like start to finish. Like I was in and out in, in you know, less than two years. And there was so much shame and embarrassment just from that because I felt like such a failure. Like what was wrong with me if I couldn't get this right? But you know what? That relationship taught me something and I have absolutely no regrets about it because in that time, I became so crystal clear as to what I needed out of a relationship and what I wanted. And so when I started to date again, um, it became very easy to identify like, okay, this is the, this is the type of relationship that feels really healthy to me that, um, in becoming really clear on like, okay, here's a red flag. I'm going to pay attention to that. So there are lessons in everything. And, um, you know, I, I said, don't regret the relationship. Don't regret the marriage. It's not a failure. It's a growth opportunity. Yeah, I'm with you there. I have to ask you though, we have to go back to something. So you said that when you had this podcast where you were confronted with issues about the divorce sort of, you know, on the fly that you weren't expecting that. You said the first thing you did was call your mom. Did I hear that right? That that was not what I expected. (laughs) Why Why was that the person? Well, because so in my family, you don't do divorce. You don't, it doesn't happen. And, um, you don't do anything that brings embarrassment to the family. And so when I was going through my own divorce, um, the first one, one of my family's reaction, um, was not ideal. It was not entirely supportive. Um, and my mother was the one who said like, what are you doing? Why can't you just be happy? What's wrong with you? And we didn't talk for a month or two after that. And, you know, it was almost her reaction, quite frankly, that kept me in something that was not a good fit because I felt like I was disappointing my family. And I mean, how sad is that? Like living a lie because you don't want to disappoint someone. So when I was sharing that with my friend who was asking the questions, you know, it just kind of came out completely raw and unfiltered. And I've never spoken that story to a single soul. And I've actually never confronted her about that. And so I called her to let her know, like, hey, this is what's coming up. And you come up because you weren't supportive during that time. Um, and she actually responded, you know, she, she listened, she called me back and she said, you know what, like, that was your story. Like, those were your feelings about it. And like, you know, I, I, I get it. So it didn't cause any conflict or, or anything. Um, and it probably, um, quite frankly, it probably made her feel a little bad about it because it really was the absolute best decision for me, for my son, 
Um, even for my ex, because he is in, he, he's remarried and he's in a, a relationship with the person who is his perfect match. You know, it wasn't me, it was somebody else. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, it was, you know, it was kind of funny having a, that conversation with a friend that just happened to be recorded and happened to be uh, shared with thousands of people when the, when it dropped. So well, I, that was brave of you. And I'm sure the martinis didn't hurt either. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, you know, something that I tell clients too is, you know, let's say I get a guy that comes in and he's, he wants to leave the relationship, but he feels guilty. You know, they a lot of people feel that way. They feel guilty that they're abandoning their spouse. You know, that's the way yeah. that they characterize it. And I always say, you know, you deserve to have love in your life, but your spouse does too. Your spouse deserves to have somebody who loves them too. And if you aren't feeling that anymore, you're really doing them a favor by letting them go. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. It goes both ways. Absolutely. And you set them free so that you both can go find something that fulfills you and is really in alignment with, with who you are. And there isn't any shame in that. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree with you 100%. So what was it like getting a divorce as a divorce lawyer? (laughs) So it's funny because I'm a divorce lawyer who hates conflict in my own life. So it was actually quite simple. We didn't have any fights. It wasn't drawn out in any way. Um, I have a now 15-year-old son with my first husband. Um, We co-parent beautifully. It's really like a really good um, relationship that we have. And so that was actually really easy. Um, It was very smooth. And, you know, I I think that we both just understood the value of... um, of not fighting over the little stuff and really the focus was on my son. Um, and you know, there were, there were of course difficult conversations and of course there were bumps and disagreements. There always are. But at the end of the day, neither of us wanted to go to court or litigate or anything like that. So it was actually quite a smooth process. So when people say to me, like, you don't get it, like, it's so hard. You don't get it. These are big issues. Like I get it. Like even the big stuff can really be worked out if you want to, and if you're both committed to working it out. Did you have to make compromises? And you don't have to talk about what they were, but I feel like that's the biggest thing that I tell my clients. And I do sometimes look back and say, well, would I be able to do that? Am I asking them to do something that I couldn't do? And we all see it, that if people people could just compromise better and walk away from what they refer to as their principles, they Mm. could be done so much faster. And she put Yeah, no one ever wins on principles. <laughs> it's no. like <laughs> no, they're very expensive. So, did you feel like you were able to do that? I I was. So, I think and I'm happy to share this one little tidbit from it, but um one of the biggest compromises for me is a big one and it's one that people really hyper focus on and I'm sure you've seen it too is relocation. So, I currently live in Connecticut. I'm not from Connecticut. I'm from Massachusetts. And at the time of the divorce, I had my family all saying, well, come back to Massachusetts. You'll have your support system there. And my ex-husband traveled a lot for work. So he wasn't around a lot. So I was essentially a single parent for a a lot of the time. When he was around, he was great in parenting and all of that. But there was, you know, when he was really little, um, there were times that I was kind of on my own. And um, that was a big one. You know, it was that that question of do I try to go back home 
Um, and then the trade-off being, well, then my son's not growing up with his dad around. And, you know, yes, I have a support system, but what does that mean when it's, it's soccer time and t-ball? And, you know, I think it's more important for him to have his father there than it is for me to have someone helping me at my end. Um, so that was a really hard conversation I had to have with myself and kind of way like, where was it coming from? You know, why, why was I thinking about this? Was it for my own selfish and maybe not so selfish, but you know, my own purposes or, and what was the trade-off for it? And um, that was my own biggest internal conversation and debate and compromise. Um, it never played out in any way in, in terms of the divorce other than um, I'm staying put because I knew that that was the best thing to do for my son. And I have absolutely no regrets about it. Um, you know, he, he has grown up now, he's 15, with having two parents who are actively involved. And you know what? My ex is my support system now. Like there isn't anything that I can't call on him to be like, Hey, can you help me with this? Can you switch this? Can we, um, it's absolutely, um, he's, he's there for that. So I, I think it's, it was absolutely the right decision, but it was a big internal compromise I had to make. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful when you can have that kind of relationship with right. your ex. And we know not everybody has right. that. So was it, did you feel like you had a new uh, respect or understanding for people when you went through your own divorce for your own clients? Yeah, I think that there's a, you know, there's a moment where you say, I get it. Like, I understand how hard it is. I understand how hard it is to not see your child on Christmas Eve or um, how hard it is when, when your ex is being difficult or like, I understand how hard it is to be alone or be afraid. So absolutely. Um, and it's why so much of the work that I do is really about mindset training because it's the, yes, this is hard and you will get through this. Yes, this is hard and there is happiness outside the other end and you will move on and find love again, you know? And so being able to say that, um, that yes, I've walked that path and I've lived there and I feel that, and I've sat in the, the shame and I've sat missing my son and all of that, but yet there's still an and after that your, your story goes on. Absolutely. has helped me, um, connect with clients, coaching clients, law firm clients, you know, anyone who has gone through it. Well, I love the name of your law firm. She, you kind of changed it recently. Happy yes. Even After and the name of your podcast. I love that. Um, it's you know sort of a take on an old fairy tale, right? But yep. can still sort of be a fairy tale, right? It's the new mm -hmm. modern version of the fairy yeah. tale. Yeah. Which can happen. So tell me, how did you evolve into Happy Even After? Did you start the podcast first? Because you have a course. So yeah. I know my femme squires want to know, like, how did you do all your branding and marketing and how did this evolve? Yeah. So I, um, it's funny because the past year I have been running the law firm and have sort of taken a bit of a backseat on actually practicing law and I'm really managing the firm and I have some lawyers in my office. Um, and then on this, at the same time I was doing that, I had embarked on this personal branding journey. And from that came where I was really infusing my personal story and doing the course and some speaking and the podcast, but everything was very separate. So I had like this one, my, myself is one business and the firm is another. And then like a light bulb went off about you know, four or five months ago. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I keeping this separate? Like, why am I not bringing both of them together to really complement each other? Um, 
and do something a little bit different. Like I've always said that our law firm operates in a very different way than kind of like a typical law firm. Like everything from when you walk in and people are like, I feel like I'm in a spa, not a law firm, to our process, to just the experience we create for our clients. So I really wanted to remove the lawyerliness from it, if that makes sense, and make it into something else for someone going through this moment in their time. And the name change was a natural... um, uh, just switch because it really embodied what we're trying to help people do. And it was Bauer Law Group and that was my name on it, but we're so much more than just like my name attached to it because our, our whole team operates as like a, in just such a cheering squad. And it's so much more than like me as the front person. And I really wanted our firm to reflect that. Yeah, so tell us how you backed out of practicing law because that is definitely a topic that... Uh, because I'm doing the same thing. I manage our law firm, um, New Jersey mm-hmm. Divorce Solutions, and do very little actually practicing law. Like I get involved with... I supervise everything. I get involved yeah. with more strategy-related issues um, and sort of coaching, like what you said, yeah. you know, getting on the phone with a client and and helping them to see really the larger picture. Yeah. You know, let's not fight over that lampshade. This isn't really about right. the lampshade, is right. it? Um, and having those conversations because not every lawyer is really good at that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's funny because when we went and entered into the pandemic time and everything was in lockdown, I had a five-year plan. I'm like, okay, in five years, my vision of not practicing as much and being able to serve a larger audience is where I'm heading. That was five years out. Never thought it was going to happen in the short term. Then the pandemic happened and I decided I was working with a... um, a strategist, a business coach. And she's like, okay, let's talk about what your, your hard no's are. And I kind of laughed and I'm like, okay, my hard no is I'm not taking any more clients. But I laughed because I'm like, I have to take clients because people call and they want me and they're referred to me. And like, I have to, I have to be the one. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try this out. I'm going to, it's going to be a hard no for me for the next six months. I will not take a single client. And let's see what happened. And and it's funny because when I did that, people really stopped pressing to have me. And when when they would call and they were told that I wasn't taking clients, they're like, okay, I'll set it up with somebody else. And um, I just it, it it was actually so much easier than I thought it was going to be. And it's crazy because I thought not taking clients was like, what am I going to do with all my time? I think I'm busier than I've ever been. And I probably work more than I I ever have um, just managing and kind of overseeing and doing exactly everything that you're talking about, kind of dipping my toes in when it needs to be. But it was just really being clear of I have a goal that I want to do more. And as long as I'm doing the one-on-one and as long as I'm the one handling these cases and being the primary attorney on the cases, I'm never going to get to that end goal because I'm just not going to have the time for it. So my vision was bigger. And I said, you know what, if not now, then when? Um, it's, a, it's a good as time as any. And let's give this a try. And I haven't looked back since. Well, I know that there are a lot of women out there that might be calling you to ask you how you did that. <laughs> when I tell people that I'm not really practicing anymore, they just look at me stunned. Like, how? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. And there was sort of a similar story for me. I had gone to a coaching event and I had spoken to the coach there and and I told him I didn't want to practice law anymore. And he was basically like, well, just stop then. 
Which yeah. my reaction is like, just stop it now. Come on. You're just right. being crazy. Right. Like, how can I do that? And he was like very deadpan. Like, just stop. Mm-hmm. It's really that easy. So I literally went home after that event. I looked at my client list, which was shorter than it used to be because yeah. we had associates that we were giving work to. But I, for some reason, I just had this mental block around some of the, the clients. Like, no, they need me. I'm the only yes. one who can do it. And But then I started questioning that, I, but I'm not. I'm not yeah. the only one who can do it. Right, right. And so I just literally, I took my client list and I passed it off to my associate. And I expected this terrible backlash. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a backlash at all. Nothing. Yeah. I was yeah. almost like, nobody even cares. They don't even I care know. that I'm not the one handling the case. Um, so that sh- showed me that, you know, you really can do it. All that yeah. stuff that was telling you that you couldn't, it's mm-hmm. really just noise. Yeah. So I would invite anybody who's listening to this and thinking the same thing that yeah. you can't do that. You really can. You really can. You have yeah. everything. As long as you have at least one associate, you really right. have... <laughs> everything that you need to start backing out of the practice of law and figuring out how you really want to spend your time in your business. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a little bit of that noise too, right? Like, Oh yeah, that's what, ab- absolutely. And you know, what's crazy is we've never been more profitable than when I stopped practicing. And for the longest time, I had this like old soundtrack on that said, if you're not the one earning, then you won't make overhead. Like you have to hustle. You have to be the one earning because you're the one rain making it. And, and that's how the bills are getting paid. And I couldn't have been further from the truth because we are far better off now with me not actually doing the billables and and actually focusing on growing the business and marketing and doing all of the other things than when I was doing just the one-on-one and and having the cases. So it's crazy. And we were expanding. We have another lawyer coming on soon. Um, And so it's, you, you add the, it's almost like when you're so you're in it and you're so deeply in it, in your cases, there is no room for your firm to grow because how, how, like, where are you going to find the time to do that? How are you going to have the bandwidth to put the energy into that? And when you step back and create that space, um, you know, people are still going to come and you start to really put the, 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 the power into your associates and giving them, um, the, the power to create their own book of business. And, um, you know, one of my associates, for example, um, has blossomed so much since I stepped back. Like it's incredible watching her just grow as an attorney. Um, and, and that's awesome. And being able to kind of mentor her and coach her now because I have the time to do it when before I really didn't have that time. Yeah, well, you know, I quickly learned when I started my own firm back in 2013. I can't even believe it's been that long. But I learned very quickly that you're not just a lawyer now. You are a yeah. business owner. So uh, I do think there's a misperception that you just hang a shingle and you're still just a lawyer with a job. But it's a little different now because you do have to run the firm and you have to make sure that you've got a steady flow of clients coming in, which doesn't happen magically. I'm sure you talk to attorneys who say, I don't do any advertising. Everything's word of mouth. Well, good for you. If you can establish and maintain your own business with that, good for you. But I still think you're missing out on a lot if you're not doing other, you know, modalities of marketing, which today really is social media and internet marketing. 
Um, but also, even if you are the person that wants to sit and do all the legal work, that's fine. I'm not criticizing that. But someone has to be paying attention to the business yes. aspect of things. And you really can't do both effectively. So, 100%. Yeah. You, so you need help. So wherever you're spending your time, if you're spending it on the legal work, the business aspect, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's being neglected. Unless Absolutely. You've, unless you've hired people that are doing that and paying diligent attention to it. But then at the same time, if you're doing all the business work, someone has to be doing the legal right. work. Right. So that's really where the associates come in. So when you decided, when you made this vow to yourself that you were going to back out of the practice of law, how many, like, what did your law firm look like then? How many staff did you have? Um, so we had three, myself included, we had three attorneys um, and I had probably a majority of the caseload. I had just recently brought on the third attorney. So he was still within his first um, six months. He was, he was kind of newer. Um, so I majority was with me. And then once I backed out, I took, I did exactly what you did. I took my current caseload and dispersed them among the two that I had and um, kept the two couple that were wrapping up, you know, a few of them just to kind of tie it up and be done with it. But um, now, you know, now they're so busy that it, in a way that like I look at what their caseload is, which was so much more than what mine ever was. Um, and so now we're actually bringing somebody on in uh, October. We have another attorney coming on. So with the prospect of expanding again in the spring, um, we're running out of space in our buildings. <laughs> so that that's the issue that we have, which is crazy to me that, you know, that's our problem is it's not that we don't have the work. It's we don't have the space for the manpower because we're growing at such a rate. So it definitely, you you are completely right. And when we look at like, I mean, I'm sure there's lawyers that you know who hung out their shingle and then they shut down and they join up with somebody else. And um, because it is work to market and run the business and continuously evolve and put yourself out there as the forefront and the leader in that field. And that takes work. It doesn't just happen organically. Like it really takes a lot of effort on the back end. Um, and when people don't pay attention to that, then they're usually the ones shutting their doors, joining a bigger firm um, or doing something else because it's just, it's too hard to juggle it all. Yeah. And you know what? I always say that's not criticism of anybody who just nope. does not want to deal with all that. Mm -hmm. I get it. I totally yeah. get it when somebody says, you know what? I'm just going to join some big firm. I won't name any names, but such, such and such firm down the street yeah. that they just want me to head their family law department. And I'm fine with that. Even though you're now accountable to them. That's okay. I get it mm -hmm. because a lot of solos will do that. Because they yeah. already know now, okay, now I get it. I know all the work that is involved with yeah. running a firm. And that's okay. But if you do decide to have the firm, I think my point is just you do have to pay attention to those mm -hmm. different aspects of the firm. And you can have what you want. If you want to just be yeah. the one who does all the legal work because you really love it and you enjoy that, great, do it. But have somebody else that's paying attention to the business aspect of things. Yeah. Um, so do you ever do, you've had coaching yourself, but do you ever do any business coaching for other f attorneys? 
So that's been next on my agenda because I do it all the time, just not getting paid for it, you know? So I'll mentor other lawyers and they'll call me up and they'll, you know, pick my brain is what we hear all the time just to talk about that. And I love that part of what I do. I love marketing. I love being an entrepreneur. Like I love running the business. Um, and so like you were saying, if someone is not, um, if that's not what they love and they just want a lawyer, then being an entrepreneur, having your own place isn't the thing for you, but I absolutely love that aspect of the business. So that has been on my coming up in the future is to actually do that for other lawyers, um, just because there's so much joy. Um, I find so much joy in it. Um, and I think it all comes down to like, it's not hard. It comes down to process and procedure and really getting things in place so that you're, it, it is like a just well-oiled instrument that you have. Um, so it's, it's coming. Oh, good. Does it have a key name? I mean, where is it yeah. in the process? Okay. Yeah, it doesn't have a name yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I'd love to see it tie in somehow to happy even mm -hmm. after, maybe happy even after for lawyers. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so tell yeah. me more about the podcast. Did you, why did you start that? Was that for marketing purposes? Um, you know, it's funny because the podcast was sort of an afterthought and the coach that I was working with was like, you know, a podcast is a great way to connect with people and get your message out there. And so I'm like, all right, I'll do this thing. It's, you know, we're in lockdown. Like what else am I going to do? And so I started it not really thinking much of it. It has turned into my favorite thing that I do. Um, the connections that I've made, the people that I've met, the conversations I've had um, has been worth all of it. So it was meant to be a place for people to share their stories, um, to, to really look at the positive side of divorce. So it's happy even after with Ms. Renee Bauer. And it's all kinds of stories from people who have come out there, the other side of their divorce thriving or with experts who have their own unique takes on the divorce process, or even anyone who has run into some sort of adversity or story of triumph of people overcoming challenges um, and just sharing those, those stories of positivity. It is not about bashing your ex. It is not about, you know, grievances with the court or anything like that. It's really um, taking something that is so dark for so many people and turning it into a positive. Um, and so that was where the idea came from. Um, and it's been, it's been an absolute blast. And do, do you roll them out once a week? What's your schedule? I do. Yep. It comes out every Wednesday is a new episode. So we just reached our year anniversary a few weeks ago and we have over 50,000 downloads at this point, which is crazy. Cause I thought like the only one who was going to be listening was like my husband and maybe my mother listening to what I had to say about her, but um, it has just, it's blown my mind. The, the success we've had with it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. And then I'm really curious about the D course too. Well, tell me about that and how did that start? Yeah. So that is, I took all of the information over the years that I have learned from clients, um, the things that were bothering them, the things that tripped them up, get going through a divorce, the questions that they showed up with that I would hear over and over and over again, and compiled it all into an online educational program. And so in it, we talk about everything from, okay, um, how do you divide personal property in a really easy way? So you're not, you know, spending thousands of dollars to argue over the crock pot. Um, how do you 
manage your expectations? Who do you need on your team? Um, what are the parenting plans look like? Like here are all of the options and how to start to think about them. What does life after divorce look like? Like how do you start dating again? Like all of the things that come up during divorce, um, there, is, there are videos for it and that go along with I frameworks and um, downloadable guides and worksheets. Um, and in it, there's also some experts who talk about financing and budgeting. Um, and it's meant to be an educational tool so that when someone goes to their lawyer and if they've watched the, all of the videos, they really have a clear understanding of like, okay, like I'm going to be in control of this. I know I have to get organized. I know, you know, here's, here's um, what it's going to look like. Here are the topics that I'm going to have to think about. And so they feel a little bit better about it. And so they're not going in kind of wild with questions and uncertainty and anxiety. It's really to give them some education. So they're not Googling to or talking to like a friend's cousin's aunt's uncle who went through a divorce and told them that they should be asking for the sun, the moon and the stars. Um, and you know, it's really meant so that they can keep their costs, legal costs down because we know that, you know, the number one thing that drives up legal costs are unreasonable expectations. Um, and so really helping them work on their, their mindset there too. Um, so that they feel really equipped to like take on their next chapter and maybe even be excited about it. No, it's not intended to be a do-it-yourself tutorial. It is not. It is absolutely not. Um, I still advise everyone to go get legal advice. Um, you're not going to get specific answers to your particular circumstance or what's happening. But we start to talk about like the house, for example. Um, why are you attached to the house? Is it an emotional attachment? Let's think about, do you really want the house? What's more important to you to be able to keep this house or live a life where your bills are getting paid and you can go on vacation, you know, start just starting to think about things where people get so embedded in like, I have to have something, I have to have the house or I have to have a schedule that looks that this way. It's meant to open their eyes up to different possibilities. There's absolutely not a replacement for legal advice. Um, they should still be getting counsel and having the their lawyers go through all of the paperwork with them and advocate for them. And is it limited to people in Connecticut or could pretty much anybody nope. watch it? Anyone can do it. It is not state specific at all. Good. Okay. That's cool. I love it. And I'm really not aware of other programs like that. Yeah, there aren't many. Um, there, there is lots of divorce coaches out there who do really good work. And so they have, there are some courses on mindfulness through divorce or moving on or dating after divorce, things like that. But this is really meant to be um, less coaching and really more of an educational tool that they can use um, in order to feel a little bit more in control. I like it. I think it's a great service. So let's give our FemSquire some practical advice. You said you love to talk about marketing and branding and, and business. So what do you feel like has been um, game changers for you in terms of branding or marketing? Or you know, what, what advice would you give women out there marketing their firms? Yeah. So showing up consistently, um, making it part of your job to show up. And so, you know, back when I first started practicing, there were yellow pages, <laughs> you know, that's where you would take the ad out. Like I've even done billboards at one point 
Um, but it, it, marketing is through social media now. Like that's where people are searching for lawyers. That's how pe- people are following advice. Like they people are going to a law firm or to a lawyer because they've seen them online. They like them, they trust them. And now they pick up the phone and call. And so the way to get potential clients to um, to do that is to really connect with them and um, show who you are, be authentic in your communications. You know, like when I first started this, it was, I thought that if it wasn't doing it perfectly, then I couldn't do it at all. And if that, if that video, that three minute video wasn't absolutely perfect without all of the ums deleted, then it was garbage. And that's just not true. People want authenticity and they want the realness and they don't really care if you say um a few times, like they want to connect with you and, and it's more about the content. So really coming up with a content schedule that you show up for. And maybe it's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday you're posting. Maybe you're doing a video or a live every week and just really building that into your schedule. Um, I think that inconsistency is the kiss of death in any business. So if you're posting once a month, you kind of disappear. People aren't paying attention. They forget about you, but really just um, showing up and providing value that is of service. Um, And it's it's not the sell. It's not about saying, hey, call me because I can offer you the best service. It's just providing value to someone who's going through that. And they will call you um, when they're when they're ready to make that call because you have given them something. Um, and they're not calling you because you're selling them something or you have an ad that's saying that you're the best law firm. They're calling you because you talked about, you know, yeah, divorce is hard or or starting a business is hard and it's confusing and you need help with the paperwork, whatever it is that is your your niche, but talking about it in a really um, connected way that isn't perfect. I actually think that imperfect is far better off here. So consistency would be my number one tip. Yeah, I think that's... I think a lot of us struggle with consistency. Do you outsource your... Do you have a social media manager? So not for the law firm. Um, I do now for my own personal account. Um, but the law firm marketing is entirely mine that I do all myself. And I have help on the other side with the, the digital business um, and setting up. She helps with a bunch of things, but one of them is some of my social media planning. Um, but with that said, like she'll plan it. And then my type A personality, I go in and, and make all of the words my own anyway. So I constantly am going in and changing it and saying like, okay, I wouldn't say that. I would say this. Well, let me just delete the whole thing and rewrite it. <laughs> You know, like um, I'm always doing that. So I have not outsourced like that, any of that completely. It's all still part of what I do. Well, I, it does get time consuming because, yeah. you know, you don't just have that to do, but you have a long list of all other things mm-hmm. that you have to do when you're practicing law and running a business. So um, I agree with you about the inconsistency. That is the kiss of death. That's when you'll kind of see the highs and lows, right? In your business, you know, things are yeah. great when you're actually paying attention to things. But then yeah. when you stop doing that, sometimes it can have a tendency to tip. Yes. So, um, but that, I think that's what we were talking about earlier is being the lawyer and having the business head on. They're really two different things. But even in each area, there's, especially with business, there's so many things that you have to do and so many things that you have to keep track of. And I strongly encourage people to outsource. Do not think that you have to do everything. Don't be afraid to outsource. So the social media is not your thing. I do feel like in this day and age, it's a necessary component to your marketing. I'm always surprised when I see attorneys that aren't really 
on social media at all or just not very actively involved with it because that's where people sort of go now for everything. And a compelling website too. Like think I was just actually on, um, I was looking for someone's phone number today and I went onto her website and it's, it, you know, it looks like the website that was created in 1995, you know, and it was just, it's like two pages, the pictures, this small on there. It's like, update your website, make it dynamic, make sure you should be updating it every two or three years anyway, because the technology changes. Um, and it's really just that visual identity for your business is so important. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know what? <laughs> Please have an updated headshot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're like 50 years old, you're 50 and fabulous, right? I just yeah. know it. Not, not you personally, like whoever is listening. But don't have your headshot from when you were 35. Just don't. Yeah. You, you know, no. you don't need to. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> I know. Right? It's like, just update it. You know, get a professional. Get glammed up. Yes. Get a professional yep. photographer to do a beautiful headshot. Um, I don't know. It's, it kind of reminds me of like people who do match dating. And they go and, on the date yeah. and they swear like, this guy was is like 20 years older than the photo. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So that was just a little baby pet peeve. Um, (laughs) So tell me, what is your vision for the firm? And or for yourself, really, it's not just about the firm, because you sort of have the entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. What's next for you? Oh, my gosh, there's so much. Um, So the my vision for the law firm is I want to create a complete mediation center. So in in our state, when someone's going through a divorce, they can hire a retired judge to uh, mediate their entire case. Um, and instead of going into court, and what I want to do is expand to create a division of what we do. What is that? Um, and that's part of the name change too. We're not just lawyers, but we're offering something more than that. So I really want to expand our services and um, bring on one or two people who are either retired judges or retired professionals, um, family service professionals who um, are well-respected, who can do offer that service. Um, so that's the law firm part of it. Um, I, I still am planning on continuing to grow and expand um, and bring on some new people. For my personal um, vision of, of what I'm doing, I'm currently working on a book. Um, I'm currently working on some speaking engagements. Um, I'm currently also working on creating a post-divorce ring for women. So they trade in their diamond and they buy themselves a fabulous um, empowerment ring um, that is, you know, in in place of their diamond that they gave up. So um, I just have some really some fun ideas there. And I'm just so excited to see it all pan out. And my brain is never shutting off. So there's, you know, before we probably hang up this call, I'm going to have, you know, one or two more ideas that make it (laughs) write them down. (laughs) I know I do. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I feel like we could definitely do this again and maybe even just limit it to branding and marketing because you have a good brain for that. (laughs) It's my favorite topic ever, even more than divorce is branding. Well, let's let's talk about your um, Instagram page because I I was going to ask you this when we go off off the air, but why may as well just (laughs) ask you now? You have a lot of followers. 
Yeah, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was was a lot of work. So I I actually had um, someone on my team who was one of my paralegals now when we were home um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, not trying to figure out what we were doing and, and there wasn't a ton for her to do. So she actually had access to my Instagram account and she was engaging in people. She was, she, I think she might've been in there like eight hours a day engaging and talking to people. And so a lot of it um, grew from the early stages of um, just doing that and, um, reaching out and just connecting with people. Like I'm a huge fan of direct messages and not selling a damn thing. Like I don't do that, but sending people voice memos, like someone reaches out and they comment on a post and it says it resonates with them, like really reaching out and just connecting and, you know, in a really authentic way. Um, and I think that that creates fans more than just followers. And that's what it's about. Um, so I've also done some, some Instagram growth events. Um, anyone who says that they haven't, who has a following is lying. So, you what know, that, that, so that's yeah. like, you are, um, you're a part of an event where an influencer, for example, has a giveaway. You're going to see them all the time. Like you'll see, Oh, if, um, we're giving away a Weber grill and a trip to Tahiti. And all you have to do is go onto this account and follow everyone that this account follows. Um, and so you can really bump up your following that way. Um, so that also did it. Now, when, if you do that, I would just caution to be only do the ones that are really going to be marketing or geared towards your ideal client. So, um, sometimes they'll, they'll do them internationally, which really isn't going to do a whole lot. Like you might show your vanity (laughs) metrics might show that you have some more followers, but they're not going to be really engaged people. So a lot of times, like in my space anyway, um, it's like the soccer mom who's my ideal client. And so I would do like the mommy bloggers, um, events with those events with influencers who are new moms. Um, and so those are the people who are following them. So that helps in a huge way too. Good to know. I'm constantly getting emails inviting me to buy followers. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> That's Which I, every single person who knows anything about social media marketing has said, don't do that. So I don't yeah. do it. Um, but I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. And he says that you just need, you know, a, a thousand true fans. I think yeah. There's actually a book on that that he didn't write. Somebody else wrote it. Uh-huh. And, but he says, you know, you want people that really are following you because they, they like your content. Yeah. Not just because it's, you know, like a million people in India, you paid them yes. to just follow. And, you know, so it looks like you have followers, but they never look at your page. Yeah. They're not really interested in what you have. And I actually go through when I have time or if I'm sitting on the couch, I'll go through and remove followers that aren't engaged or that look a little kind of funny or shady. So I do that frequently too, because absolutely you want your engagement rate to be higher. And if you have high followers and low engagement rate, like that's not a good thing. You're better off with lower numbers and a high engagement rate. So, um, so I'm doing that as well, but you always, you know, sometimes you have some kind of some interesting people who pop in for a DM that follow. I have no idea how they found me or why they're following me, but um, usually a good block is in order. <laughs> well, I invite people to follow you on Instagram. It's um, Mrs. Renee Bauer. Ms. 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 Yeah. Ms. <laughs> Renee Bauer. And that's M-S-R-E-N-E-E 
B-A-U-E-R. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, check it out. I, I do love what you're doing on here. You have video content frequently and it looks like it's really nicely curated. So I'm going to start copying off of you. <laughs> <laughs> totally cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, when you start your, your officially start your coaching business, I'd love to have you back on to talk yes. more about it. Absolutely. Awesome. This was so much fun. Thank you for doing it because I sort of flaked out on you. Uh, we were supposed to do it and I don't know what happened. Some schedule yes, stuff okay. too, but thanks for <laughs> hanging in there with me. It all worked out. <laughs> so if anybody's interested in uh, reaching out to you for your services or maybe just to chat with you and, and you know get some more information from you about your podcast or about marketing, mm -hmm. what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah. So they can go straight to my Instagram account and shoot and send me a direct message that way. I'm in there. I'm constantly responding. Um, so that's a really good way to connect with me. Um, or they can go to my website, which is uh, com, and they can also connect there. Yes. Well, thank you, Ms. Renee Bauer. <laughs> even after. Um, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call, the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.